Good morning, everyone. Welcome to a cool place to be. I mean, really, it's like 100 degrees outside, or will be before the day is out, and it's about five, maybe a few more degrees cooler here than it is in my house. So this is a cool place to be. Not only that, though, it's a cool place to be because of you being here this morning and worshiping God together with one another. You sounded so good singing songs. I know our Father must have been pleased with the way you sang, sang and the heart that you put into it. Before I get into the lesson, I need to just do a few things that are important to us as a congregation. The first thing is, please check in. You know, as elders, we have a, feel a really keen sense of responsibility and accountability for all the souls that God has put under our charge to oversee this congregation. The thing is, is when it comes to this please check in thing, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, listen, I'm here. You should know that I'm here. I don't need to check into anything. And that's why only like 25% of you guys are doing that. But we need a record of that in order that we as elders might be able to measure some things and be able to keep track of who you are and what you're doing. And, and just it would help us out so much in being the shepherds of your souls. And so if you could please check in, that would be so appreciated on Sunday morning. And then for you visitors, we'd like a record of your attendance as well. Not so that we can sell you anything or send something to you to get a donation out of you, but simply just a record so we maybe send you a letter telling you that we're glad that you came and visited uh, with us. Let me also make you aware of several important things that are things that are going to be happening, events that really do affect our congregation. One is our vacation Bible school that is going to be August the 4th through the 7th. God is among us. There it says, please register by July the 11th to receive a free t-shirt. Well, today is July 11th. Then it says to register, text VBS to 208-895-4020 or go to the events page on our website. And so that's important because, listen, kiddos really love doing vacation Bible school. And I think as of, I think it was Thursday, we had like 28 of our children who have been already registered. And I know we have a lot more than that. It might be up since then. But let me encourage you to register your children for vacation Bible school. To adults, eh, it's just vacation Bible school. To children, it is a big deal. It's one of the events that's specifically put out for them and put together for their spiritual development ladies retreats september the 17th through the 18th registration deadline is august the 18th and so let me encourage you ladies to be thinking ahead a couple of months and get registered for that eleanor william or lenora williams is going to be our our speaker and you all know or at least some of you know lenora she's the the wife of uh, Carrie Williams, who used to be the preacher here 20 years ago before I came on the scene, and she is a wonderful speaker and has uh, some great things to share, and so ladies, please sign up for that retreat, and then finally, just be thinking about October the 14th through the 17th. There is proof of God. We're going to be looking at some of the evidence. We're going to look at the theological argument. We're going to look at the ontological argument. We're going to talk about cavemen and dinosaurs and archaeology and the galaxy and all kinds of incredible things that we have great speakers that are coming to be sharing with us. So let me encourage you in that area. Okay, so let's get into the sermon. It's only an hour and a half long. Uh, what I'm going to be doing this morning is I want to introduce to you a series of lessons that I'm going to be sharing on the idea of the king and his kingdom. So it's about the kingdom. So for the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking to you about the kingdom of God that was established by God's son and how it has, you know, a lot of implications for our lives as kingdom citizens. 
that there are things that are expected of us as, uh, as you know, children of, of God. And so let me encourage you to really be listening to these lessons and to take part in attendance and, of course, going through this material. Before I get into that, let me just start by asking you this. When you think of unlikely pop culture uh, icons, who do you think about? Well, some of you might think about any number of individuals, but there are a few pop culture icons that came to my mind that were really unlikely uh, heroes. One was an Air Force fighter pilot who later became an air captain for one of the major airline industries uh, of our time. His name is Chelsea Sullenberg. He is affectionately referred to by his friends as, as Sully. He was the captain that piloted U.S. Airways Flight 1549 when he had a ditch into the Hudson River uh, by Manhattan. And the reason he had to do that is because his airplane took a number of bird strikes that knocked out both of his engines. And in an instant, he had to decide where he was going to land this airplane, and so he decided to land it in the Hudson River. And almost in one moment and overnight, he becomes a, a hero to the nation because of those people that were ditched into that river. 155 souls walked away from that intact. They could have all been killed if he landed almost any place else, but because of his abilities, he becomes a hero, an unlikely hero in many ways. Or another person I thought about is this person here, Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, you know, is from Montgomery, Alabama, and she was, you know, she worked in a, in a department store as a seamstress. That was her, her, her job. And she becomes an iconic hero back in the, the 50s during the Civil Rights Movement. You might notice it says an American activist in the Civil Rights Movement, best known for her pivotal role in the Montgomery bus boycott. The United States Congress has called her the First Lady of the Civil Rights and the mother of the freedom movement on December the 1st, 1955, in Montgomery, Alabama, Parks, a local store seamstress, rejected bus driver James F. Blake's order to vacate a seat of a four, a four in the color section of the bus in favor of a white passenger. She, along with others, refused to do so. The result was she was arrested, taken to jail. Later, it ends up in federal court, and the judgment was is that Alabama's segregation laws were unconstitutional and that they had violated her 14th Amendment right. Overnight, this person becomes a national hero, certainly for those of color in the 50s, but even today she is looked back on as someone who was a major cog in that movement that equalized you know, freedoms for all people regardless of color. Another one, I guess, as you think about iconics, would go to, say, the days of animation. Well, no, let's talk about animals first. So here behind me, you see a yellow Labrador retriever. Now, I used to own one of those things about 20 years ago. I used to hunt with him. His name was Gus. Great dog, a great companion, but he was anything but a hero, unless it was at eating different kinds of things. But this Labrador here that you see behind me is incredible. His name is Janjir, was a Labrador retriever who served as a detection dog with the Mumbai police during the Mumbai bombings in India. 
Because of the work that this animal performed, due to this impeccable service, it detected more than 3,329 kilograms of explosive RDX, 600 detonators, 249 hand grenades, 6,406 rounds of live ammunition during the 1993 Mumbai bombings. When the dog died, they gave him an honored state funeral. An unlikely hero, just a dog, but saved thousands of lives because of its acts. When you go into animation, you can talk about Huey uh, Mulan. Huey Mulan was the daughter of a famous warrior of, of China. She wanted to be like her dad. She was incredible with martial arts. She could use weapons. She was incredible, but that was not what was expected of a female in that day. She was expected to become a wife, to become a mother, and to carry out the duties. But she wanted more than that in her life. And so when they started to subscript various men from the various villages to go into the army to fend off a horde of barbarians that were coming at them, she decided to disguise herself as a man, entered into the army. And then the story is, is that she becomes an unlikely hero of that army saving the, the day. Or if you like things like little clownfish, Marlin, the male clownfish, and finding a Nemo, he was married to Coral, his wife, and between them they had 400 babies. And all of a sudden a barracuda comes out of nowhere, eats Coral, eats 399 of the babies, leaving only one, which is Nemo. And Nemo grows up and wants to journey and ends up being caught by a fisherman, which causes his father Marlin to go on the lookout. He had always been very cautious about Nemo, and now he has to find Nemo in the most difficult of circumstances, and he becomes an unlikely uh, hero. So what do all these have in common? Well, the compare, common thread that each of these have as examples is their heroism came as a surprise. You didn't expect Rosa Parks to be a hero or Sully Sullenberg to become a hero or Zangier the dog to be a hero, but to our surprise, they're all uh, heroes, and not because of their lack of potential, but because of the potential was not recognized until they had to act on that potential in a moment, and maybe even in the blink of an eye. So as we talk about the, the kingdom of God, what I want to do this morning to begin this series is I want to talk to you about an unlikely king. And I want to start where his story begins all the way back in the manger. In the manger, the Son of God makes his advent into uh, the world. No one would think of him as being the king of the universe. No one would see him as being Lord of Lords. No one would see him in that kind of a thing. And yet sometimes the most amazing heroes come from the un most unlikely places, and that was true of Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 through 21, if you would please. Matthew, the first chapter, beginning in verse 18, and let's read down to 21. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has, who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When you think about it, it's almost crazy to think that the king of the universe would come in some back alley manger that was fit for animals to be there, and yet that's where the Savior of the world begins his journey to becoming your Savior and my Savior, to becoming king of kings and lord of of lords. No one would have ever expected that in any way. In fact, it's contra, it's shocking to our senses to think of him coming in that, that kind of a way. And yet it was the fulfillment of prophecy that was given over 600 years before his advent, saying that a virgin would have a son and that they would, the son would come and they would name him Emmanuel. It's an incredible thing to think of that like that. A baby in a manger, king of kings, lord of lords. Why didn't he come into a mansion? Why didn't he come into a, a great nation? Well, God knows the reasons. And what you know about God is that God can sometimes take those things that seem insignificant to be something to be great. Take the nation of Israel. There's nothing great about the nation of Israel. There are plenty of nations surrounding that small area of land that was, you know, in Palestine, there were greater nations by far in terms of number, in terms of military power, in terms of a lot of things, and yet God chooses Israel, fewer in number, least among many of nations to love and to possess and to use them as a means of bringing the Son of God into the world. From that insignificant nation, God would take a young son, the youngest son of Jesse, a shepherd boy, and would make him probably the greatest king of all Israel. An incredible king. And from that king, he would become the great, great, great grandfather of Joseph, who is the father on earth as our savior. Joseph would come out of nowhere. And become the father to watch over Jesus as he grew towards his adulthood. And when you go down through the lineage of Jesus in Matthew, the first chapter, verses 1 through 17, and you look at the historical role that those people played in it, some of them are significant. Some of them play very insignificant roles. Some of them are very vulnerable individuals. And yet God is able to take those people and use them in incredible ways. And as you go down through that lineage of people, you'll run into names like Boaz that, that they talked about in class this morning. Boaz, who was just really a, a farmer, and he marries a, a Moabitess, a, a, what, a, a foreigner in terms of Israel, and he marries this Moabite by the name of Ruth, who is the uh, daughter-in-law of Naomi. And they will marry each other, and they'll have a son by the name of Obed. And Obed will have a son by the name of Jesse. And Jesse will have the youngest son by the name of David, who becomes a great king. And he'll have a son by the name of Solomon, who's known as the wisest of all men. As you go on down through that lineage, you'll run into men like Josiah, who actually is the boy king at the age of eight years old. He will revitalize and bring revival to the nation of Israel as they turn back to God. Name after name, you'll look at that lineage there, and you'll see insignificant people who become very significant to us on this day. And then you have the manger scene that was read to you out of Luke, the second chapter. 
And there Mary has a baby in a manger and lays him in a, a manger, in a trough, actually. A place where, you know, you, you put a stock. You didn't put people in, in there. And yet that's where the king is to be born. So the question that may have happened even back then as even today is, how many missed the birth of the Messiah King simply because of the fact that they couldn't believe the way in which he arrived? Born in a manger and not in a king's bed, but in a manger, no way. Born to a teenage mother by the power of the Holy Spirit, most would say that's impossible. It's inconceivable for something conceivable as in God's mind that he would send the king of kings, lord of lords, to our world and in a manger. And what's almost also inconceivable is that Jesus would say, I'm willing to do that. Thankfully, God was well-versed in the impossible. And thankfully, Jesus humbled himself and became a man. Put on skin to hurt like we hurt, to suffer as we suffer to live a perfectly righteous life without any sin, to die on the cross for your sins and, to my, and for my sins, that's an amazing thing that happened in that beginning of the king's life. So we have a king that is living alongside us. It's the greatest hope that we have, that God is going to be with us. And as I mentioned earlier, that was spoken almost 600 years before the advent of Jesus in Isaiah, the seventh chapter and verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in Matthew, the first chapter, verses 22 and 23, we see the fruition of that prophecy. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet. That's Isaiah saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child, she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which interpreted means God with us. And never have we needed God to be with us more right now than in this, this day. The truth is we all need a hero, and we need a spiritual hero, a hero that can change people's lives. Why? Because the mess that we have made of things because of our choice and the sin that we have got ourselves in, then something that we cannot overcome, something that we can't undo ourselves. No matter how much church we go to, or how many Lord's suppers we eat, or how well we sing, or how many people we baptize, or how often we worship, we cannot undo that mess. Because Romans, the third chapter, verse 9 and then verse 23, says, There's none righteous, no, not one. And all of sin and fall short of the glory of of God. We needed a Savior to come into the world that would save us from our sins. Why? Because sin is powerful. And so powerful that oftentimes people do so and not even are aware of it. But people are sinners, each and every one of us. And so the first step in experiencing Jesus as king is recognizing your need to be rescued, that you need a hero. And that the rescuer king is born into this, this world. And that he's the tangible representation of God. And that's why the angel said, you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
You're all familiar with John, the first chapter in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or Philippians, the second chapter, in verse 5 and 6, this says, had this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as nature a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and did what? He became a man, a hero that we were so in need of. And so we're not talking about a God who is far off or distance. We're talking about a king, about a Lord, about a God who came very near to us and experienced in many ways the exact same things we experience with one huge major difference. We can't hardly get through a day without sinning. Jesus went a lifetime in the muck and mire of a sinful world and never sinned once. Hence making him the greatest of all kings and the greatest savior of the world. So the king comes and makes his right, takes his rightful place among the people. But I have to tell you something. The arrival of the new king can cause quite a commotion. Look at Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 8, if you would, please. After Jesus was born in the Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's like two years later after his birth, okay, that the Magi finally show up. When Herod the king heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him and gathering together all the chief priests and scribes and people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet, the prophet has been written by the prophet speaking, of course, uh, the prophet who said that. So something happens here, and you notice it talks about Herod. This is Herod the Great. Herod the Great is... He borders on being a genius, seriously. But he is a major narcissist. Control and power is everything to this man. If you've ever been to Israel and seen some of the just architectural things that he built and mountains that he has moved, you'd be absolutely blown away. But this guy was a tyrant. He was power hungry, so power hungry that he had his sons murdered because he thought they were a threat to his throne. Well, because of this, he is so disturbed. And when you talk about this word disturb, it doesn't just mean slightly bothered. or me It means to be agitated, to be troubled, to be so stirred up that you are moved to action, and that's exactly what he does. And so he has every child from the age of two years old and down killed. The slaughter of the innocents is what some have called this. Jesus escapes to Egypt, but he wanted to kill them all. When you think about this, what this is saying is that the arrival of Jesus always causes commotion. It causes a change in the world, and that's been true throughout his ministry, throughout his life. Jesus was a constant source of agitation for the, for the Jewish leadership as well as Roman leaders. Even to this very day, his kingdom was in conflict with the world's kingdom, 
And therefore, it causes much distress whenever the king takes up his rightful place. And if you don't think so, just think about politicians or think about newscasters. And some will say, may God bless America. And they'll invoke God. But have you ever heard them say, may Jesus bless America? Jesus is a problem. Because God is a monotheistic God, and he only has one son, and there's only one Savior, and there's only one king, and that is Jesus. And when you throw him into the mix, you got problems. That's why Jesus said things like, do not suppose that I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. There is a huge contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. All you have to do is look at some of the moral topics that are being discussed and the depravity that is out there and how we are to stand foursquare against that. I'm telling you that that agitates people. Jesus, the king, agitates. Jesus causes commotion. Not only does he do it societally, he does it individually. Think of it like this. Jesus comes to cut off and remove the sin that hinders you from experiencing love and joy and peace and the abundant life that he has come to give to us. John the 10th chapter and verse 10, Jesus says, these come to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and that you might have it in the abundance. But sometimes following after Jesus, that can be a costly thing. It can be costly to be a, a disciple. This is why it can be painful to sever relationships, jobs, hobbies, or other things that get in the way of Jesus being the king and ruling in our lives in his kingdom. Jesus asks us to give things up and to cut things off when it gets between he and us. So his cause is a disturbance everywhere he goes. But he also brings salvation everywhere he goes as well and so as the messiah king he's worthy of our our sacrifice jesus says if anyone wishes to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me he's asking us to sacrifice think about the sacrifice the practice of sacrificing for kings is an ancient one after Abraham had taken care of the southern confederacy who had stolen or take captive his nephew lot it says that he gives a tenth of everything he has to the king of Salem, later to be known as Jerusalem, to Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest, a tenth of all that he had. Or the queen of Sheba, she gave an immeasurable gift to, to Solomon, recognizing how great he was. Now go back to the story of the Magi. The Magi, when they came to Jesus, it says that they opened up their treasures and they presented a gift of gold and frankincense and myrrh, things that you would give to great rulers. Someone said that gold represents the kingly power. Others would say frankincense, uh, frankincense uh, is regarding divinity. And then if myrrh represents death. The point would be this, is that the Magi, they recognized something about the child Jesus, who was unique, who was different, and that was worthy of honor, that was worthy of giving gifts and treasure to, that were worthy of their, their praise. They saw an incredible power in Jesus Christ. Jump then to Luke 1, verses 32 and 33, as we talk about the kingdom. Remember, we're talking about the kingdom and the king of the king and who is the unlikely king. 
He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And if you're a Christian this morning, then you're a part of that, that kingdom. So let me ask you this here. What do you think would be the appropriate or an appropriate response to the presence of such a king? Is there any amount of gold or possession that you own that you would not be willing to give up and sacrifice for this king? Any distance for you to travel or anything else that you can imagine that would be worthy of someone like Jesus? Jesus, the unlikely king. Like I said, it's, it's crazy for the eternal king of the universe to be born in a back alley manger. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit, except it does with God. And not only that, to recognize what he gave up. As I've already mentioned, he put on human skin, and he hurts like we hurt, and he suffered as we suffered. It's overwhelming to consider the lengths Jesus has gone to for you and for me. He truly is a hero, the Savior that we needed and still need today. But to be fair with you, following Jesus will cause a disruption in your life. You'll be faced with opposition. It's not all going to be joy-filled walk in the park. I remember when I became a Christian, um, Lori, who's then my girlfriend, can attest to this. When I became a Christian, when she became a Christian, we lost almost all of our friends. Not because we chose for them not to be our friends, but they didn't like walking with light anymore. And so they chose not to be our friends. That was painful to go through as a teenager. But with Christ by your side, Emmanuel, God with us, you can have confidence in the journey. The kingdom of heaven is unlike any kingdom you'll find on this side of heaven. And it all starts with the most unlikely king. And that's Jesus, who is the king of the universe. The only question is this. Is he your king? I know for most of you, he is. But are you treating him as king, and is he truly the Lord of your life? And if you're not a Christian, is he your king? Is he your Lord? Most importantly, is he your savior? And if he's not, why not make it so this morning? Well, together we stand and sing and give you opportunity to respond.